Hi friends, my name is Pastor Alan, and you are listening to the CGC Podcast, where your pastors get together and explore different topics to help us think through and to live out our Christian lives. If you are interested in our podcast, you should visit our website at cgcpodcast.com and subscribe to be one of the first to know when a fresh new podcast has come out. In our seventh episode of season two, Pastor Kevin and I talk about missional living and being a good neighbor or gospel neighbor. We discuss topics such as what is a good neighbor? Is it important to be a good neighbor? How do we cultivate these relationships? And how can we talk about hard topics? All right, Pastor Kevin, uh, thank you so much for joining us for another episode today. How are you doing? Good morning. Very good. Thanks. That's good to hear. Um, so I think um, I recently sent you an article about this topic about being a gospel neighbor written by the Nine Marks. And really, it just um, in the article kind of talks about um, what does it mean to be a neighbor in your neighborhood and that Christians, if they want to pursue missions, should look to be good neighbors and also gospel neighbors within their neighborhoods. And this spans from every congregant to elders, and it should be something that we think of as hospitality, not just with Christians, but also with non-Christians as well. Um, what were some of your general thoughts about the article when you read it? I'd like to hear oh, some of those I, I thought it uh, was uh, a fairly well thought out article, Aaron Menikoff, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I was challenged by it a little bit, just knowing my relationships as well, and I think that's probably the whole reality of what we want to talk about today, because I'm fairly proactive with my neighbors, but um I still can't uh, follow through on the uh, test that they would have, which is probably a little humbling for all of us. Yeah, I think that uh, after reading the article, I you know, just had to reflect on, you know, how did I feel about the article? And um, I guess the conclusion was I realized that I agreed with the article, but then that meant that there's quite a few things in my own relationships with my neighbors that I have to change. Um, so, yeah, I also found this... Um, topic challenging. And and I guess the reason why we were talking about this topic today um, is because something maybe we talked about in our last podcast about being good neighbors as part of being missional, this idea of hospitality and missionality and also our missional focus to the church. Well, it starts with just the parable of the good neighbor. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So it it starts there and then Mm -hmm. who's your neighbor? It reminds me of Sesame Street. Who are the people in your neighborhood? (laughs) Didn't think that was going to be broken out today, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe just for our audience today, um, how do you see being a neighbor? How does that interact with our call to be missional? And do you think that there's an issue here with an agenda of sharing the gospel and being a good neighbor? Well, being missional is just, uh, as uh, our statement has said, it's just being willing and prepared to share the gospel whenever that opportunity arises, to seize the opportunities. So where we live is the place where we will uh, have a lot of contacts with people in everyday life, where we get in and out of our cars and we get to meet each other and walk the dog. And we we spend a lot of impromptu time in our neighborhoods. So being a good neighbor is being missional. It's getting to know who they are, that uh, you develop a, a relationship of trust and care so that when the opportunity does arrive, then yes, you can share the gospel. That's being missional. Yeah, so I think that the idea of being missional and sharing the gospel and seizing every opportunity is to not make every moment every opportunity, right? That it's part and parcel with being a good neighbor, and as the opportunities arise, then sharing the gospel should be something that we should be thinking about. But it's not like we should make every single moment a, a an assault of the gospel, 
Like, no, that's, that's not what we're talking point. about. It's not an assault of the gospel, but yet I would say that you need to be continually looking for those off ramps that mm-hmm. you can speak of the gospel. And and I know people who have said much the same thing, but then will go years without being able to share the gospel. You can have spiritual conversations that lead up to the gospel. And so it's just taking advantage of those spiritual conversations. Right. And so I think it's it's making sure we are listening carefully for those opportunities and then taking advantage of them when they come. Right. Exactly. Like, uh, because yep. I think that there's like a thinking process in our mind is like, is this the time now that we're going to share? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we 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 freeze up like we're not ready. And I think that maybe part of our preparation and being missional is always being ready, as it says, right, to be ready to share the hope that we have. And, um, you know, sometimes we're going to miss a couple, but I think that our hearts should always be ready to do that and that we should be looking to the spirit to guide us and strengthening us to share the gospel. That is the only problem in that uh, we freeze when the opportunity comes. Oh, the Lord will teach us. My concern mm-hmm. is often with so many opportunities that we're just not in tune with the spirits working and they go by us without even phasing us. Like we just don't realize that that was an opportunity. And it has okay. to do with our walk with God. If yeah. we're walking closer with God and, and experiencing spiritual realities in our life, then we see where people's lives are kind of threadbare at certain areas and and where the gospel can naturally meet them. But if we're just Mm -hmm. running around doing our own lives, uh, then we're going to miss these opportunities. Yeah, so I think that maybe the way that I look at it is that we're often, we miss the opportunities because we're not looking to be missional. Like we're looking to live our lives and those are not the same thing. Oh, exactly. And um, yeah, and I think that like, I think is if we're being missional, I think missing a couple times to share the gospel, I think is, to be honest, probably normal, right? Because I think mm. that oftentimes we don't always pick up the right signals. We don't get a sense that we can jump in. Um, but if you are being missional, I, I find that there's always going to be multiple opportunities with the same person. Um, and so you might miss one or two, but they're going to be a multitude of opportunities to share that gospel over time. Exactly. And it's saying just redeem little spiritual conversations that may not actually bring to the apex, you know, Jesus died for your sins, repent. <laughs> but you build up to those things. So my neighbor, um, they've sold their house. They've just separated. She's left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, within a week of her going, he's gone out and bought a used Audi, which cost him eighty to $90,000. Wow. So we were chatting yesterday, and uh, I could see in his life a difference in his attitude in terms of being able to engage with me. Or, you know, uh, there was a frustration, unfortunately, he saw in his marriage that's now changed. But for me, there is that frayed envelope where I see a spiritual reality of him. There was a lack of tenderness in his in his marriage relationship. And now he's gone out in a midlife crisis and spent, you know, $90,000 on a used car. And so slowly, slowly, you start inching towards those things, asking questions of the heart that uh, he may not be aware of. But they move you to the gospel. Yeah, um, I, I want to get there ultimately in the conversation because I think this is a great, great platform to talk about how do those interactions look like. But uh, maybe I want to go a little bit more basic than that in terms of when you think of a good neighbor, How do you conceptualize this idea of being a good neighbor from the Bible? Well, first and foremost, it's a recognition, I think, just that they are people with the same realities and brokenness in life. They just don't understand that brokenness as sinfulness and the need of Jesus. So, but, you know, they have stressed relationships with their work, with their family, 
And so being a good neighbor is just listening and being that person that they can vent with or uh, help them in little tiny ways. Like my neighbor, I, I cut his grass every time I, I do our front lawn. Well, that's um, really sweet of you. That's gone a long way to making a relationship with uh, mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this idea of being a good neighbor and listening, I feel like in the, like, especially in the world that we live in, there's so many people who want to give out their opinion and there aren't enough people who are just want to listen and to, you know, just lightly interact, but allow people to share their piece. And I feel like that's an invaluable skill to be a good listener in terms of being a good neighbor. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think that like one thing that lots of people seem to have against Christians is that they don't listen, they just make comments. And I feel like, and, and sometimes that's true, but I feel like if we really want to be effective in terms of being able to preach the gospel in, in their context and speak into their life, I think we have to be excellent listeners to be really good neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that, um, so we talked a little bit about um, your neighbor and you talked about some of the, the methods. So maybe could you be a little, bit, a little bit more broad in general about how do you think that we can reach our neighbors? So you talked about like mowing their grass. Uh, do you think that this is a normative um, way that which we can reach our neighbors? And then once we do reach out, how do we cultivate that relationship? So again, my neighbor, I cut his grass and uh, I will often in the winter time when the plow has gone by, I will shovel the end out for him. He's an older gentleman. Mm-hmm. Or the neighbors across the street just got a uh, a baby pug a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to them when I first saw them out, and uh, just explaining our dog is in his last months hmm. uh, of his life and the difference there, and connecting with them as as a dog owner, and then just you know you know where are you in your life in terms of of this relationship? You know, we're once our dog passes, we're in a time of our life when we don't want that added responsibility and it was just a natural question for them and they they latched onto it um and talking about how they're going to travel a little bit but uh, they're settling down and setting goals for their lives in the next couple of years it was kind of interesting the way the lord just brought it all out so if i'm understanding correctly the idea of being a neighbor really is just kind of allowing just your natural meetings with your neighbors to you know continue into a conversation building relationships and we don't have to throw ourselves at people um but there is definitely since you're around people these people all the time you're going to see them and you're going to wave to them uh we should take advantage of those opportunities to get to know them and to talk to them and connect with them in the best ways that we can oh and i don't know if it's true in toronto uh in markham it was a very cold neighborhood there there wasn't a place to walk to that was close like a store or anything so everyone got in their cars and drove no one walked in the neighborhood. No one, you know, took their dog out. Here in Burlington, I can go out at six o'clock and there's probably 10 couples with dogs on our street. Mm-hmm. I walk myself and I'll hear some Spanish. And I don't know how many times I've stopped and, and there's three families within a couple blocks of us mm-hmm. um, from different countries. So it's a very friendly neighborhood. People are expecting to interact with each other. They're not surprised when you say, hi, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's funny because I think that when you talk about um, very cold neighborhood, like I grew up in that kind of environment where my parents were not, um, my parents are always in the in the neighborhood, but not of the neighborhood. <laughs> If you want to put it that way. So, like, if people would wave, they wave back, but they wouldn't want to make eye contact. They wouldn't want to talk to people. 
And I think there's only one time in my life where there actually was some engagement as a neighbor. And that's because we lived in a cul-de-sac and everybody knew everybody. Right. But uh, my parents were very cold as neighbors. And I, and I guess the question is, I guess in my mind is, how would I reach my own parents who, who don't like to interact with their neighbors? And I find that that's, a, that's actually a hard um, <laughs> question to answer. But personally speaking, like, I think because they're older, like, there are certain things that they don't want to do or they prefer not to do. And maybe mm. this grass-cutting idea might be something to reach out to neighbors who maybe are not very open Mm-hmm. I think that if we open up our hands and open up our hospitality more than just talking to them, but doing things for them, uh, I mean, that might warm the relationship a little bit. Oh, for sure. Um, at Kitty Corner from us, there is a young Chinese uh, family that I haven't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think during the pandemic, they're probably with uh, family somewhere. But um, last year during uh, Chinese New Year, I, I ran across the road with a little gift and she was so mm-hmm. shocked. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she actually made me stand at the doorway while I heard her run upstairs and and rummage through some stuff to find something to give it back, you know, as a as a as a as a reciprocal gift. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's I, actually a really good one for especially for Chinese families. Um yeah. because it's so hard to break through that finding those holidays where there's always an exchange of something, I think is is an understandable and acceptable kind of way to reach out to your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, like even if they're not going to eat the things you give them, like I think that the recognition that you went out of the way to know that they're that's their background. Uh, I guess the key thing is to make sure that you know the background of the people you're giving the gift to. Yeah, uh, you yeah. probably don't want to give the wrong gift for the wrong season. But um, that to me is a, a very human touch that I think a lot of people, even cold neighbors, will respond really well to. Yeah, well, well, pets is one of those things that everyone's barriers breaks down on. It could be the roughest punk you want to see or, you know, a, a biker. And yet he'll want to talk about his cat or his dog. Yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of funny what those contacts are. But pets are one of the things that will give you an in automatically with people. So are you advocating that we should be a, a heavier <laughs> pet owning uh, congregation then? Is that the, uh, the, the <laughs> well, idea? if that was the case, I would say only dogs, please. No cats. I'm not a big cat fan. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you didn't, you didn't, you're not a big cat fan. That's yeah. so interesting. I feel like I understand cats better, but I don't want a cat as a pet. I would rather, much rather have a dog. Does that make sense? Like, I can understand the thinking of a cat to want to be left alone. It's like, yeah, but I, but I think that if I were to have a pet, I'd probably want a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it, it used to be a point years ago, probably a couple decades ago, where you could talk to uh, people about their kids. But talking about kids or two kids on the street is it, there's too many, you know, histories of dangers and, and mm. cycles. And you, you, that's not an easy way to talk to people. Like you could if you saw a lady pushing a baby cart at one point, mm. you could probably still do that but not just walking a kid so sometimes the culture changes slightly so what was acceptable is not now yeah but i I find that one thing that has been helpful in that area is that like there are mothers groups that are across different regions and like hannah's been getting to know some of our neighbors through these mothers groups so like it may not be good for men and children because i think that's where oftentimes a dangerous scene but I find that if you have children and you're a mother, like this seems to be a great way to break into your community by joining local mothers groups and seeing what they're like um, and just talking with them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I know in Cambridge, uh, one of the things that worked very well in a neighborhood, and this guy wasn't even a Christian, but once a year, their street, and they lived on a dead end street, they would just block it off and they would have a big pig roast. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it just got to the point where they, they knew each other on the street well enough that they could say, okay, well, let's just get together and uh, have a beer if you are drinking with them and, and, mm -hmm. and just get to know them a little bit. And it, the, But having a barbecue like that was a big issue. That was great. Yeah. I, I wonder, though, considering that many of our neighborhoods are now becoming, uh, they're more vegans and like pescatarians <laughs> and... Uh, I wonder how that pig roast is gonna is gonna run up against that. But yeah, I think the idea is that if you know your neighbors well enough, you can definitely celebrate with them. I've also been wondering if this is something we can we can do at the church too, like especially to gain some visibility, is to maybe have some like open cooking or open Chinese cooking to kind of get to know our neighbors. Uh, I don't even know if that's even an option given how dangerous food can now be. But it's just something I've been wondering. You have any thoughts about that? Uh, no, and that it used to be a, a big thing um, decades ago, and I'm not for sure what's happened to it, but uh, that gentleman next door who uh, he and his wife have just separated, when he leaves and the new couple come in, yeah. for sure we're going to take over a cake or something. Right, right. And, you know, we may not get along for several months. They may be so busy, but the reality is that first contact of just welcoming them, and uh, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a big thing. Yeah, so I think this kind of reaches into our next question, where in the article it says to love the people or neighbors for who they are. How do you feel about that? And should we never then speak up about their sin? I, I think this has a, been a struggle for me as well, that I've seen lots of my friends deal with deeper spiritual realities, and I've always been hesitant to speak into it too deeply, because I think that, yeah, like there's always a danger of making them feel more alienated you know, or just walking away from 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 you and not being your friend anymore. Well, what are your thoughts about uh, about this question about loving them for who they are? Well, it gets to the very issue of being genuine with them and mm -hmm. uh, again, receiving them for who they are who they are. The reality is is it doesn't matter what this issue of sin is. There's really no difference in sin before God. Mm -hmm. So whether it, he's cheating on his wife, whether it is a uh, a gay couple who move in next door, you know, all kinds of variances, they're all in the same boat. They right. all need Christ. Right. And the reality is, is my thought uh, when you say that is, I'm not going to worry about the sliver uh, when I've got a plank in my own eye. Right. So I want to be cautious and not self-righteous, but care for them. And I think that's one of the things that that God allows us to do is we don't get caught into self-righteous attitude, but we can actually care for who they are. We know where they are and we know their deepest need. And mm -hmm. so we just love them for being that way. Yeah. I think about Paul talking about not judging those outside of the church. And, and I think that that's actually very helpful in our, in our thinking with our non-Christian friends mm -hmm. is that, I mean, there, there definitely is a judgment that's coming, but in, in our gospel sharing with them, um, they definitely need to understand that. But I think that people already have a guilt and a feeling of inadequacy or sin in a lot of things that they're doing. And you can bring it up, I think, in a, in a helpful way. Uh, but ultimately, I think that what's going to break through, what they're going to remember is the sympathy in which you showed them and the love you cared about them. Yeah, I feel like there's a, there's a deeper reality there that they can relate to. Because I feel like um, this idea of being judged is something that's very touchy in our, in our, in our world today. Not that we can't talk about judgment, but definitely what rings true, I think, in most circumstances is this touch of love or this care. And then I think that as we talk about these other things later on, they definitely have a, a much uh, hard-hitting effect because they know where it's coming from. 
Yeah, there's there's no way they're going to receive any biblical advice. This is what the Word of God says about stealing or, or mm-hmm. about an adulterous heart, um, unless they have accepted you as someone who can speak into their life. Right. Um, and the, the only way to do that is to be sincere and, and demonstrate and cultivate a, a real care for them. So it's not going to work otherwise. It's just going to get their back up and then you're going to lose any relationship you had if you don't. There's a, a comment that was made in the article about that something that we should be doing is being hospitable, but the hospitality that we're talking about is not just between believer and believer, but believer and unbeliever. And I, to me, that was the point that kind of stood out the most because I had never thought about hospitality in the in the context of that passage in First Timothy chapter three, really talking about that that actually not just doesn't apply just to believers being hospitable to believers, but also being hospitable to unbelievers. And I guess as I thought about it, I'm like, I at first I'm like, no, that can't be true. That's not right. And then I thought more about it. And I'm like, well, you know, he does make a good point. This idea of you know that we should be hospitable to the to strangers, but also this idea that in that same passage it talks about that you should be seen looked as as respectable to outsiders and i'm like well the only way that that's possible is if they've actually met you and they know you and that would kind of lean into this idea of hospitality as well so i don't know did that part really uh, is that the part that really struck out to you too or really hit you as well no um i'll get to my section in a second but uh, gotcha. for me being hospitable i i think you're right to one degree but there's really no way that most people are going to receive you as close friends knowing that you're religious right so hospitality is a challenge it is a way of showing love but it is also seen for ulterior motives and and, you know rightfully so we always have evangelism on the back of our our brain Mm -hmm. but simply because we're religious in the broadest sense, it doesn't matter if you were JW or Mormon or Arab or Muslim, they would view anybody inviting them into their house for hospitality with suspicion because we're just kind of a, an amoral society and, and scientifically minded. So um, it's harder. But once you've established that relationship, it's it, it continues because they know that you know, whatever you talk about, they're not necessarily going to be able to express themselves in the manner that they would normally, and you're not going to be always come, you know, talking about the same things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's developing that relationship, and once that relationship really takes hold, hospitality kind of accelerates everything. Right, um, right. But that initial step of hospitality, it, it, it's incumbent upon us, but it's mm-hmm. not always received well. Right. I don't know. I, I think that with the question of relationships and as they build longer, I feel like the suspicion of your faith, your religiousness, um, actually becomes something that they just see as ingrained in who you are as a person rather than just a thing about you. And I think that that to me has been one of the breaking points with a lot of my friends where um, like, I don't think they have a suspicion about my goals. They know who I am and they know what I believe. But I think that that's something that's been born over time, because I think that there was definitely suspicion at the beginning when I came out as a Christian, uh, that they weren't sure what that was going to mean for our friendship. But mm-hmm. as time passed over, they understood that was integrated. It it, it, it changed the way that I cared about them, uh, but only in a better way. Those are things that, as people see the like our faith being embodied by mm-hmm. our faith, and the relationships are genuine, 
I think people just start to see that this is part and parcel of who you are. It is not just an agenda, but fully integrated into your personhood. And I think that that's really what needs to come through. Yeah. Well, the, the challenge for, for me as I was thinking about it is that, um, and I went back through several texts, and uh, we always talk about hospitality as a spiritual gift, but it's not on any of the lists that you'll find in the New Testament. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> how did it get there? and that's got me thinking in terms of how it's it's become part of a spiritual uh gifts test Mm -hmm. Uh, and it is very much if we have been born again of of god and have a, a natural understanding and affinity for those who are still stuck in sin and a desire to help them building relationships should just be a natural part of our life and in you know inviting them and doing being hospitable uh and caring for people when they have the needs you know it doesn't even Mm -hmm. have to come in your home if someone next door has a concern if they've broken their leg then you take over a meal this should just be a part of our natural everyday life right right yeah that's a really good point I think that it's there because I think there are people who are very hospitable, uh, but you're right. Like it may not actually be a gifting and maybe it's the point is that I think part of the idea is that every Christian should be hospitable. It's not like you have to have a special gifting. Maybe it's not even a special gifting to be hospitable, but it should be, it should come naturally to those who have the hearts renewed by Christ and should, and hospitality should grow with our maturity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. So kind of moving into the uh, kind of last part of this segment today is uh, give any advice about how to approach hard topics and conversations with our neighbors. Uh, I'm sure in the course of our conversations with our neighbors, they're going to ask hard questions, especially living in Canada. There are uh, at least two or three questions off the top of my head that um, I think that our neighbors going to ask us about our faith uh, and ones that may put us into very difficult circumstances if we were to tell them what if we tell them exactly how we feel about them and it might could jeopardize our relationship with them do you have any advice about how to tackle or how to bridge those topics um and then how do we express love even in those situations as well well i think one of the ways is to uh continue relationship of spiritual conversations where you ask them questions Mm -hmm. uh so they've they've you know they've come to you with something and they would say for example you know uh, with all of the political turmoil the the far right in the states seems to be really under uh you know evangelical or uh that kind of a hard mentality of fundamentalism mm-hmm. and uh, my comment back would be you might be right well how how do you understand that and you know where, where do you see the concerns because you know i would fall within a the general parameters of what they mean but i wouldn't necessarily agree with the way that they do things Right. And so yeah. you bring it back to them to help explain, get them thinking through instead of you always having to just give a theological answer up front mm-hmm. because they need to take ownership of the gospel, but right. you need to get them there on their own terms and where they are. Right, right. Yeah, I think that um, part of these discussions are is important because these are sometimes roadblocks for them to be Christians. Like I know for lots of people, there are a number of questions about um, topics of like, you know, like gender and sexuality or about, you know, the history of the church. They've heard one side from uh, kind of like what, like the far furthest right, how they feel about it and what they do. And then they then associate that with all Christians 
right, um, who hold to some kind of conservative worldview. Mm-hmm. And you're automatically working against. You're already. You automatically. There's like this presupposition or predisposition towards you thinking that you would be on those people's side if you had the chance. Mm-hmm. And I, I just simply think that that's not the case. Like I think that like it's just like a very small fraction of people who act that way. It is not true of the majority. Well, and you you own you own the problems. Right, so right. if 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 the church as a broad sense, has done something wrong in the past, you don't make excuses for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you just say, you, you need to understand that there are many different ways to approach this kind of thing. And, you know, these people have not done it rightly. And I, you know, myself and, you know, the church I would belong to wouldn't agree with that. Right, right. So right. You, you, you try to separate yourself uh, from what is truly non-biblical and you take ownership of the things that that we have done and say you know we're just like everyone else you know we have not always done things correctly and that's not necessarily good and how do i say that yeah i think in terms of actually dealing with the topic um and not on top of just taking ownership is just being honest about that as you talked about like like that there is definitely a definitional view of all these different things um, like in terms of like how god sees these things and there are th- many things that i think people practice in the world that are sinful mm-hmm. right so i think we're not trying to sing- single out one particular sin i think that's a mistake yeah um but to really see that like these are all things within the the working and the framework of god's creation in which he finds that are good and bad and right and wrong and he's defined those things for us um but it doesn't take away the way that we're to love one another Right. Even mm-hmm. though we we're sinners and even though we were sinful. So I think that those are I, I think getting at that dichotomy is really important because it, it tells people that this love is not artificial, but it's <laughs> out of our belief and faith and who God has now made us. And it extends to those, even though we think that we all have sinned, this is still an expression of that love. Mm-hmm. I think these are all important things to, in my mind to get across in those conversations. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Any any last thoughts about this topic about being a missional neighbor? Anything else you wanted to add, Pastor Kevin? Um, well, I think a lot of people are asking questions about the world around them, mm-hmm. and they, there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of anger. They're continually kind of polling each other, trying to understand. Well, you know, do you have a little piece of information that gives a little broader understanding? And you know, as mm-hmm. Christians, we have a, a, a biblical worldview. And I think one of the things that people are are struggling with is the question of morality mm-hmm. that, that undergirds all of these things. And and so for me, part of an issue is always moving towards uh, a moral concept of what's going on, because as mm-hmm. soon as they start understanding there's right and wrong, right. Um, then you, you've got them working on a trail to be able to recognize, well, wrong is actually what we call sin. Right. And there's all kinds of wrong. It's not, you know, one is worse than the other. And, you know, I'm wrong, too. So I continue to sin. I just thankfully have a savior. But I think right. I think they're trying to understand we have had supposedly very high moral standards or culture in the past. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that seems to be slipping away. And they're they're asking questions to understand, well, where are we going with this? You know, right. And right. those are wonderful opportunities for us. Yeah. Um, I would also add that number one is that I think that it just takes small steps. Like don't, you don't have to make grand oh, yeah. gestures in your attempts to get to know your neighbors, mm-hmm. maybe go to parks where your neighbors are at, or, 
you know, walk by their house if you see them, wave, maybe start with saying hello and see if there's anything that catches there that you can just start a conversation. Um, number two is just don't be afraid to open up about, you know, your faith and your life. If it truly is one integrated thing, then it's going to be an embodied personality. And also don't be afraid to talk about hard topics, but also don't be afraid, as Pastor Kevin talked about, to put those hard topics back on their them so that they also reflect on them too. Because I find that we often just leave it as we are always make ones making defense about what we believe. But realistically, um, there are some major shortcomings in both in, in their worldview that I think also helps helps us to be more missional and also helps us to get to the gospel as well. Uh, so don't be afraid to kind of turn it back on them in a, in a really loving way. But you can definitely ask them, like, how they think about it, how they think about right and wrong. And if it's just relative, then, you know, is it just, is their anger just also relative as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Or is it actually something simple here that we all can agree that this is wrong and it's universal? Mm-hmm. Um, these are all, I think, good things to do. But again, you don't have to play up something that you're not. I think these are all just natural courses about how to be a neighbor and to be friendly and to be hospitable. But it is our calling, I think. I think we would both agree it's a calling. It's 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 a part of our responsibility to be hospitable. And it's not just we can't just say that we don't have this gifting. If we don't have this gifting or we don't we're not hospitable at all, there might be a problem with our faith, not that we don't have a gifting. Well, then we just have that whole question, is there can you give me a scripture that says it's actually a, a spiritual gift? Right, exactly. Exactly. And then it is truly something that is part of the basic Christian nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. All right. Well, Pastor Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today for this podcast of what it means to be a good neighbor or a gospel neighbor. Um, and I uh, hope you have a great day. Thank you very much. Lord bless. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 